I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to private education. I'm Ashley. Uh, Andrea isn't here because she is in Los Angeles and sunning herself beside her boyfriend's pool. I am not jealous at all. Um, And today we have a somewhat of a serious topic, actually. um, And it's not something I have personal experience with, but it's something I have actually been unfortunate enough to witness um, in the past. And that topic is narcissism. Now, narcissism and vanity are often conflated. So to be clear, this is not about someone who like loves a selfie or talks about themselves too much or hasn't ever met a mirror they didn't like. This is about narcissistic personality disorder. And I, like I said, I'm in no way an expert at all. Um, but like you, probably, <clears throat> I'm very interested in this as a topic and um, and so I have got an expert here with me today Hazel Larkin is my guest welcome Hazel hello Ashling. thank you so much for having me not at all thank you for joining us and um, I'll let you do a proper introduction to yourself I guess but just to start Hazel has three degrees you've a, you've a degree in psychology and sociology an MA in sexual sexuality studies um, you have a degree in international human rights law and you've just finished your PhD in transgenerational trauma and uh, child sexual abuse. And actually, just before we kind of start, I want to give a bit of a trigger warning here just for sexual abuse, trauma and narcissistic personality disorder um, or NPD, which I think is probably what we'll refer to it as from now on, because narcissistic personality disorder is quite a mouthful. Um, so... Hazel, yeah, if you want to start by just giving a bit of an introduction about you and what you do and how kind of MPD has revealed itself in your life. Brilliant. Thanks so much for that introduction, Ashling. Um, You'd think from that I'd know what I was talking about. Um, but I also <laughs> have personal experience of NPD. Um, and I think that, first of all, what I want to say is that it sounds a lot like we're diagnosing at a, di- at a distance. Um, and people will sometimes say to me, but hang on a second. First of all, you're not qualified to diagnose anybody. Mm-hmm. And second of all, um, how can you put a diagnosis on somebody that they don't necessarily want to accept or, you know, where does that come from? So my, my answer to that is that while I can't definitively say, oh, that person has NPD, what I can definitively say is their behavior is the behavior that um, um, highlights a person uh, who has NPD. Um, These are the quote unquote symptoms or the signs or the behaviors associated with NPD. And also the other thing is that so few people who actually have narcissistic personality disorder wander off and get themselves diagnosed. 
So it's one of those that is very difficult to um, necessarily to to definitively say that person has NPD. But what we can definitively say from our experiences of them and from our observations of them, that they present with a lot of the um, behaviours that we would associate with NPD. So that's kind of my not my workaround, but my position on, yeah. on yeah. you know diagnosing people yeah because um, I, I would like you said I would imagine I mean it, it's it's very I would imagine it's very difficult to convince a narcissist that they are a narcissist so it's you know like how can you like that how can you definitively say yes this person is that but like I was reading earlier on um the DSM-5 the kind of diagnostic manual that um professionals use to diagnose mental health uh, disorders like they have a list of kind of characteristics of NPD and they say that you need, I think there's like, there's like maybe nine or 10 on it, I think. And you need half of them. You need five or six to kind of say, well, this person more than likely has NPD, but like, again, even that, even the kind of, not, not that it's scientific, but even the medical diagnosis is a little bit vague, you know? Well, it is. Yeah. Um, You're quite right about that. And I think that there is, um, there's a couple of things that strike me about the the um the diagnostic and statistical manual and they're you know casting a wide net if you like Mm -hmm. i also like you have a bit of skepticism around the particular publication because it can sometimes diagnose um based on cultural norms you know i'm I'm reminded that we're on the dsm-5 now and in the dsm-4 homosexuality was a mental health illness you know a mental illness of course, yeah of course yeah it's not so we take some of what they say with a grain of salt and and I also just wanted to point out that from my experience which I'll come to in a second and from my own understanding and research around NPD it's not necessarily a mental health issue or a mental health difficulty because from my understanding from my observation from my research there is an element of choice and I'll come to that, you know, that okay. that we have, I'll, I'll, I'll come to that in a second. I'm just going to backtrack slightly yeah. um, and explain where my own personal experience is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Because first of all, there are a number of human qualities that are actually quite healthy that might that might lead somebody to say, oh, that person is, is a narcissist. Oh, that person definitely is. A, and they're not necessarily one or two things like um, arrogance doesn't necessarily make you a narcissist it just makes you arrogant mm. you know really high self-esteem doesn't make you a narcissist having huge confidence in that you are an expert in your area doesn't make you a narcissist you know and so you can have there are what 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 would be termed by the by the professionals as healthy narcissistic traits you know it's good to think well of yourself it's good to have high self-esteem. It's good to honor the fact that you know what you're talking about when you do know what you're talking about. But the difference is that a narcissist always thinks they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They think the entire world is their area of expertise. And they're usually wrong about that because very few of us can be experts. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say nobody <laughs> is an expert on everything. Yeah. So my own personal experience of, of MPD, unfortunately, I have quite a bit. Um, but that will come as no surprise because my my mother is a narcissist and you know she ticks so many of the boxes um and there are you know her mother was a narcissist so there's an element of not necessarily hereditary because i'm a sociologist really oh. um 
So I'm more inclined to look at the entire culture rather than the individual. So the culture my mother would have been raised in would have been, this is what a woman is, this is what a woman does, this is how a woman treats her children. And that brings me back to the piece around the choice because my experience of my mother was that I was the child she liked least. There was only six of us. Um, and, you know, she she um, had four sons and myself and my sister then as the two daughters. And I was, as I said, the least liked, which I, you know, didn't. I, I realised, but I always thought it was it was a problem with me. It was only really in my late 30s that I realised, actually, no, the problem is with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't automatically dislike a baby. Yeah. You know, she kind of did. Um, and and has no no compunction about retelling stories about how I was treated when I was a child because she just thinks that's okay and that's what I deserved. Um, but she but she was well able to shower her sons and two of them in particular with with extreme love and you know she favoritism. So it's not that she didn't know how to treat a child. It was that she chose which child to treat well. And there's a funny story. Um, a number of years ago because I've, I've gone completely no contact with my family because they're quite toxic mm. um and of course my mother won't address her issues which is unfortunate but it means that she doesn't have a relationship with me or my children um but it was recent not recent it was probably about in the last 10 or 12 years that I made that decision so when my children were very young bearing in mind they're now 18 and 20 we were at my mother's house performing family if you like mm-hmm. um one of my brothers was over from from the Netherlands where he lives with his kids and they were, you know, constantly screaming, shouting, bickering, whatever. Um, but she turned on my children and told my child, you know, to stop, you know, to be quiet. She was out. She was she was three and outside, you know, being an exuberant child. And I said, OK, that's it. We're going now. So I wrote her an email after I had reflected and I finished it off by saying, well, I sh- should have known that the um, children of the favorite son would be the favorite grandchildren. And she rang me and she said, I got your email and you're wrong. Isn't my favorite is. <laughs> and I thought that is perfect. That is such a, you know, now in hindsight now I can say, well, that's just narcissism all over. Because mm-hmm. clearly I knew she wasn't going to say I was her favorite, but I thought she was going to trot out that mothers don't have favorites and I love you all equally. She didn't even go there. She was like, well, of course I have a favorite, but it's not the one that you thought because mm-hmm. I would always have to be wrong in my mother's head yes know? yeah yeah so, so I left then my family home when I was when I was a child when I was 19 and got married to a psychopath who obviously had narcissistic traits and then my second husband was also a narcissist um and I can take you through the list of, of why I can why I can say that you know definitively now and I would have had other relationships with 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 men who clearly had narcissistic traits although not necessarily narcissistic um you know mpd do you do you think because obviously you know for the purposes of private education i do want to talk about it in the context of like a romantic relationship or you know that kind of way obviously your experience with your mother though do you feel or how sure are you i suppose that that framed or that gave you know that kind of led into your narcissistic relationships or your your relationships I should say with narcissists in your kind of personal life then do you think that that was a direct cause and effect I I think it set the stage because I look at my children now who are of the age of dating and and having relationships 
And my eldest daughter is in a really healthy relationship with a lovely guy for four and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I look at it and I say, well, how on earth did you manage to get that so right Mm -hmm. when I got it so wrong? You know, and my younger daughter, who's 18, has had a number of relationships that have gone as far as they've gone. And she's still on speaking terms with her exes. Mm -hmm. She's still, you know, they, they still will have a drink together now and again. And you just think, how did you manage to have such positive relationships when I didn't model that for you? Mm-hmm. And it was, my therapist um, said to me that it was, it wasn't so much what I modeled in terms of my own relationships, but what I showed them was acceptable, that I loved my kids so much. And they know from day one that they were loved unconditionally and that my heart doesn't know the difference between them. Physically, they're quite different. But my heart doesn't know the difference between them. And they were never treated as anything but equal. Mm -hmm. And that means that they have a very strong bond themselves because they were brought up with love. They were brought up to love each other. I was never, you know, um, fighting one, you know, um, pitting one against the other because we were all, you know, this family unit. And that's how they were raised. So I see that their treat, how I treated them, set them up for good relationships and equally how I was treated kind of set me up for bad relationships because I didn't know I'd never been treated well I mean there's a history of sexual abuse and trafficking and all sorts of my background so um I didn't know what it meant to be treated well it's not that I was stupid and I was putting up with bad behavior it's that I didn't know what good behavior you looked like mm-hmm. so I did fall for people particularly I'm thinking of, of my second husband who was and I say this with heavy quotes just a narcissist you know, one of the one of the key things was that he never took no for an answer. And sometimes that can just seem that it's really attractive, you know, very romantic. He's pursuing me across continents, which he did. But he was actually stalking me. Mm-hmm. You know, if I look at the legislation now, it's kind of going tick, 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 tick. Yeah. You know, yeah. but instead of getting a restraining order, I got a marriage certificate mm-hmm. because he would not take no for an answer. And he was a champion sulker. And I think that's what you also find with narcissism. It sounds a bit daft that, you know, given our cultural notion of what a what a narcissist is to say, well, actually, they they sulk really well. That's an emotional thing that narcissists do to 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 um, manipulate people into giving them what they want. And of course, narcissists are champion manipulators. Mm -hmm. In fact, I dated a narcissist who um not for long um who who was proud of the fact he said I'm great at getting people to do what I want them to do and I thought that's manipulation that's not good mm. you know that's not you're not saying I've great negotiation techniques yeah. you're saying I'm good at making people do what I want them to do and he tried that with me all of the time and yeah. so when you were kind of early days in these relationships and you obviously kind of going through dating them and all that kind of stuff you weren't recognizing the signs not at all at what point in in say your second marriage with with the the guy who's just a narcissist um what at what point did you kind of go okay I see what's going on here like when did the penny drop like for you and and what what kind of made you know was there a was there an occasion where you went oh my god ah this person is a narcissist. They have NPD. No, it was in it was in hindsight. It was long after I'd left him when okay. I okay. came across, you know, through through my own studies, the, the notion of narcissism mm-hmm. and narcissistic personality disorder, because I had accepted kind of the, 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 the cultural narrative that a narcissist is somebody who, like you said, has never met a mirror they don't like. Yeah. Taking yeah. it very much literally from the myth of narcissists who, who, who fell in love with themselves and then, you know, 
fell yeah. into the river and died, yeah. or died of starvation, whichever whichever myth book you've read. Um, but it was, I suppose I was never comfortable in the relationship. I never felt safe and secure in the relationship because narcissists move the goalposts all the time and they gaslight, which for anybody who doesn't know, uh, they, they take reality. They t- well, they will take a memory. For example, one very clear example, um, I had one of the ways that my second husband got me to agree to marry him was a promise to start a family. Now, all I had ever wanted was to be a mother. And he knew this mm-hmm. because, of course, I'd given him the ammunition to shoot me with, if you like. I'd given him my personal information because that's what we do when we're in intimate relationships. We say, well, here's a piece of me that I don't share with everybody. And here's my honesty. But you're not met with that back. That's that's the problem in this kind of a relationship. So I said to him, you know, that I really wanted to start a family. And he said, look, let's just get married and we can start a family straight away. And I promise you, if you're not pregnant when we get married or or shortly after, um, we'll start uh, proceedings for for adoption. And I thought, this is great. Happy days. Because I didn't care where the baby came from. I just wanted to have a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were married maybe a week. <laughs> and I brought it up. I said, you know, let's um, let's look at adoption. He turned around and goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, no, no we did speak about this we had a conversation four months ago we were sitting you know I was sitting here you were sitting there um and I was able to replay for him the contents of the conversation he said it never happened I said no it did he said look there is no way I would agree to adopt a child he he was Indian um and, and that's only relevant because of what he said next um because he said look there's no way he said you never know what you're getting there could be any cast there could be any really, my goodness, we might end up adopting a Muslim. And I just went, I, I, I can't believe that we're having, what? I hadn't realised he was castist, castist. I hadn't realised he was anti-Muslim until after I married him. But anyway, um, but it was, uh, it, it did cause me to question because he was as adamant that the conversation hadn't taken place yeah. as I was that it had taken place. And I started to question my own sense of reality. And it was like, I'm sure we had that conversation. He said, no, we didn't. And that was just one very specific and very important conversation. But it would happen along other things. I'd say, you know, he'd be two hours late home from the pub and I'd have the dinner ready and I wasn't allowed to eat without him. So I'd be starving. And I'd be like, you said you'd be home by nine. And he goes, no, I didn't. I said I'd be home by 11. No, no. You said, why would I say I'd be home at nine o'clock? I didn't finish work till seven. I'm hardly going to just go out for two, you know, and it is that thing of just shaking the foundations of what you feel is your reality. Yeah. And when you say, just sorry, Hazel, to um, interject there, but when you say you weren't allowed eat without him, was that, did he like impose kind of rules or, yeah. And is 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 that part of his narcissism? Or was that part of his Absolutely. It was. It's a control thing. He controlled everything. Literally, when I ate, what I wore, what time I got up at, what time I went to bed at, who I was allowed to speak to, whether or not I was allowed to go to a friend's birthday party. And it was never, oh, you're not allowed to go. It was like, oh, really? You're going to their birthday party? Well, you're not that close to that person anyway. Well, that's for me to decide. But anyway. I see. So it, it wasn't outright, like, here's a list of rules, but it was more... Oh yeah, okay. it was more manipulation and it was more insidious than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a lot older than I was. Um, and at the time he was he was slightly more educated than I was, so he would throw that in my face all the time. Was like, and look, I know more. I've been around more. I'm older. I've travelled more. I I have you know I have a degree, blah blah blah. And it was just 
how does any of that matter when what we're talking about is whether we're going to go for dinner or whether or not I am allowed to go to my friend's party? Do you know? Mm-hmm. So they don't take no for an answer and they can never accept that they're wrong. You'll never get an apology mm-hmm. from a narcissist. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. don't ever expect one because it won't happen. In, in, and I, oh, sorry, go on. Go, no, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say the part of that then is that they can never accept responsibility when things don't go their way. You know, as a very clear example, as I said, my husband was was uh, was Indian and he was if, if he applied for a job and didn't get it, it's because they were racist, not because his work wasn't good enough or because he wasn't a good fit. It was just like, oh, no, they're racist. Um, or if he didn't get a pay rise that he wanted, it was because, you know, if he was white, he'd have got it. It was never. Well, you just don't deserve it. Or we're in a recession and the money isn't there or whatever. It was always somebody else's fault mm-hmm. um, and unlike that also the overinflated sense of self-importance there was mm-hmm. no one in the world more important than Shida yeah. in his own mind anyway yeah. Um, yeah. and they always believed that they deserve better than they have you know like the the job thing well I have this job and it's ground but I should be running the agency or mm-hmm. I should be the problem is that I'm a tortured genius no the problem is you're an alcoholic with narcissistic personality disorder that's the second problem mm-hmm. you know um, I, I, ha- I have very limited experience with uh, narcissistic personality disorder but someone from the past shall we say I, I'm going to be deliberately vague here um, yeah. that I um, I believe had NPD and um, someone I know I, I wasn't um it wasn't someone I was in a relationship with, but it was someone I knew. And I, I, one of the things that kind of was a characteristic of, of it for, for in, in my, to, to my mind anyway, was that this person was always trying, was always, um well, telling lies firstly, like extensive, extensively, um, and was very uneducated, now I didn't know this at the time obviously but they were very um they had not even finished school I don't think and yet had told everyone in their life that they had multiple degrees that they had like like so much qualification so much life experience so many jobs so many like this person to speak to them they had they must have lived 10 lives because they had worked in so many industries and had so much experience and so much varied experience and they they told people that they had this incredibly important role in a in an organization and I, I remember like I was so impressed by the person and I was so like this is you know this is amazing and they were actually weirdly humble about it right so like I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You know, initially I wasn't like, okay, this person is like, you know, full of self-importance or they're being very grandiose here. I, they were actually quite humble about their achievements and yet still managed to get across that they had all these achievements. And obviously, you know, years later it transpired that, absolutely none of that was true um, and it was all completely made up and false and just lies and lies and lies so yeah. I'm interested in the kind of the lying aspect of yeah. narcissism because looking at the list of kind of traits I remember thinking okay lying is obviously going to be next lying must be next lying and it, it wasn't on the list it was right. all this stuff about like self-importance preoccup- preoccupation with um like power and success Mm-hmm. Um, a need for admiration a sense of entitlement and um, arrogance like you said earlier and um, envy or a belief that other people are envious of what they have and like I was looking for just l- like dishonesty like lying just pathologically lying and it wasn't on the list and yet do you feel like like excessive and contrived oh. lies are part of NPD? Absolutely. And every narcissist I know has been a liar. Um, and and it's not just I mean, we all look, you know, to be honest, we all tell little white lies. It's like, um, you know, if I'm running late, I won't necessarily say, oh, gosh, you know, I just, you know, I'm just got, lost track of time. Yeah. I kind of go, oh, my goodness, traffic, you wouldn't believe blah, blah, totally. blah. And yeah. to and that's a so kind of what we can call maybe a social lie mm-hmm. it's to protect the other person as much as to protect ourselves the narcissist will lie exactly what you said about their achievements my mother does that all the time she pretends that she has qualifications and experience that she doesn't have and I remember listening to her kind of going, what are you talking about that's just you know very specifically um somebody I know was showing her a list of they were starting a new course and they said oh look at these interesting modules uh, have have you heard of this and that? And my mother looked at me and said, oh, of course I have. Sure, I've taught most of them. And I thought, no, you haven't, you liar. You're not a teacher. You know, it, yeah. and it was just so blatant. But the other thing is that the people who don't have NPD take people at face value. Mm-hmm. You don't sit around kind of going, oh, really? Can I see your certificates then, please, before I, before I yeah, believe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you don't lie yourself, you don't expect other people to tell lies. And it can come as quite a shock when you realize actually they were lying the whole flipping time. And And do you you think or in your experience, do you think that that people with NPD, in particular your um, your ex and, you know, other other people that you've been in relationships with, like, do they do they genuinely believe what they're saying? Like, you know, this person genuinely I I. And this is why I think I suspect at the time, because I have always thought myself um, a good judge of character. I've always thought that I'm good at, you know, recognizing when people are being dishonest or recognizing when when there's something off with someone. And I did not sense that from this person at all. And I I looking back and I was thinking, well, maybe it was because they so genuinely believed that what they were saying was the case mm-hmm. that that I couldn't sense the dishonesty because they genuinely believed it so how could I sense dishonesty if they thought they were telling the truth what do you think of that well what I think is they knew they weren't telling the truth but they were so invested in having you believe it 
that they were very credible. Okay. Um, that would be my thought on it, that there are, you know, there are fantasists who make up stories and they absolutely believe them in the moment. Um, the narcissist knows they're lying. They know they're exaggerating. They know that they are bigging themselves up because again, it comes back to feeding into their notion of themselves as being so important. Mm. And it's like, well, how would an important person speak about this? Well, because I am an important person, I will speak about it this way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they're only important in their own heads. God love them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just so kind of if someone that's listening to this is in a relationship or starting to date someone or or it like in a new relationship or starting to date someone and is kind of how if there's been any kind of weird, you know, that doesn't seem right. Or, you know, someone has like that is only 25 and yet apparently has four degrees and has worked for 10 years in five different industries. And yeah. like, what kind of things would you, like if you were talking to your 20 year old, what yeah. things would you say here? This one, is what to look out for. Yeah, One of the first things to look out for is the love bombing, which is, you know, the, 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 gifts that that seem a bit inappropriate for how early in the relationship it is okay um you know it just seems a bit ott but then part of you thinks gosh are they just really kind are they just a really nice person why am i second guessing this i'll always say check in with your gut does it feel right does this feel you know warranted um you know how how am i feeling about this even mm -hmm. if you can't put language on it straight away that that you're you know, if you can, if you can tune into your gut and see what that's saying, because they, there is this cycle of um, love bombing and then neglect, if you like. So a, a narcissist is more likely to ghost you than anyone else, for example, because they're just going to go, oh, well, I'm bored of that toy now. I'm moving on. And because they haven't emotionally invested, you know, they don't care that you have. OK. Um, or it doesn't occur to them that you have. But then if you call them on it, they might actually just go, oh, actually, maybe I will play with that toy again. And they'll come back and be like, honey, I'm sorry I wasn't into it. I was actually in the hospital because I had this infection, but I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want you to worry. And you kind of go, OK, that, that's kind of plausible. Oh, OK, we'll run with that. Um, and it's only really when there's been so many of these instances that you go, wait a second, for real? Um, so it is. And, and also, if when you question them if they become very defensive that's a good marker okay. because it's, it's an idea of you know if you in all innocence if you kind of say oh really well how can you have how can you've been in you know hospital in Dublin when when you told me you're going to Dubai and you're just innocently asking because you're confused yourself and they suddenly turn around and kind of go sorry are you accusing me of something I was in Dublin first and then I went to Dubai and, and the lies just get worse and okay. but if it yeah. A defensive thing rather than oh gosh no I know you why you'd be confused what actually happened was I was supposed to go to Dubai but I couldn't because of the sick and you kind of go all right again do you know it, it's it's that defensiveness that makes you um as the person on the receiving end just stop asking questions because you're afraid of what you'll be met with mm -hmm. and in the case of you know like there are so many traits that you could look out for there's so many red red flags that you could look out for if you were in the early stages of relationship or at I guess any stage of a relationship with a narcissist but is there yeah. something that kind of I mean is there is there a is there um I don't know a real kind of okay this is bad this well, is because like arrogance or telling a few white lies or you know I'm trying to think is there anything that's kind of 
cut and dried this is not a good sign I should probably move away from this person whether it's MPD or whether it's just you know bad. yeah I think well there are a couple of things I mean apart from what we've said already you know they don't take no for an answer they never accept they're wrong they don't take responsibility when things don't go their way but that overinflated self of sense of self-importance the love bombing is a really good sign okay you know, to, to watch out for the idea that, uh, and also the fact that they have no interest in anything or anyone that doesn't directly impact or affect them. Mm -hmm. So I would have found that what I was doing, my work, my study, my day-to-day -day living um, was of no consequence to these nurses. They didn't want to know because it didn't directly affect them right there and then, mm. um, unless it meant that I was going to suddenly be earning a lot more money and then could treat them you know to the life that they felt that they were that they were entitled to um because they think that they're entitled to a far better life than the one that they have and a far better life than most of the people around them they 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 really do believe they deserve better than they have mm -hmm. and they resent and can get very jealous of people who appear to have what the narcissist wants if you know what I mean like if okay. you know yeah if the next door neighbor gets a new car they're kind of going oh really now you know that that they, they won't be happy about it they, they, they don't they don't understand how to be joyful for other people how to kind of go I'm really happy for you okay I I have a question around friendships okay so if you're in a relationship with a narcissist is it something that you would notice that their friendships are or their their friendships are quite transactional or that they have a lot of they've fallen out with a lot of people or because that's something that I have noticed in the past with ex that example that I was talking about previously yeah. it's like Friendships serve a very specific yeah. purpose. And when that purpose is achieved or if that purpose can't be achieved, the friendship is kind of left behind. Is that something that you've experienced? Absolutely. Yes. Um, the transactional is the best word to use for how for how a narcissist views relationships, because it is very much what can I get out of this? Okay. Not what can I give? You know, and it might be, oh, you know, they did me a good turn. They did you a good turn because they are keeping score. And they will remind you in a week or six months or a year or whatever, I need you to do this for me. And say, for example, what they did was they loaned you a book, okay, a book that you couldn't get anywhere else because it was out of print or something. So they loaned you the book and you gave the book back. In a year's time, they will look for something like, you know, access to your entire library. I'm taking that as an, as an extreme example, but they mm -hmm. want to take. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll go into where your books are and they'll take seven or eight books off the bookshelf with no intention of ever giving them back. And it'll be like, but you're forgetting my generosity. That book that you couldn't find a year ago, I gave it to you. Yeah, but you insisted on its return. They don't compute that bit and they don't understand. They do understand. They just don't care that they're actually taking advantage of you and your kindness. And that's the other thing. That sometimes people beat themselves up. You know, I'll talk to people and they'll say, how could I have fallen for it? How could I have seen I must be stupid. And it's not that you're stupid. It's that you are kind and abusive people. And I include narcissists in that prey on kind people because a kind person will give a second or a third or indeed a fifth chance to somebody. A kind person really does want to see the best in everybody. Um, and, and they, you know, we, we make ourselves, I suppose, vulnerable. And I don't mean that in a victim blaming way. I mean, just because you know people who are preyed on tend to be nice people mm -hmm. um so you know you're not stupid you're just kind um and what do you do stop being kind well no because i won't let a narcissist change who i am at my core 
So if that means that I run into more than my fair share of narcissists, so be it. Because it also means that I'm not excluding people who are not narcissists, but just having you know a hard time or who need support. So mm-hmm. that's that's my position on it. Mm-hmm. If if someone that's listening to this suspects that they might be in a relationship with a narcissist or someone who they think is fully ticking all the boxes for NPD or maybe just has a couple of the kind of characteristics that we've been talking about, what ways would you or what advice would you give them? And is it a case of just cut and run or is it a case of, you know, you could potentially live with something like this or like what's the advice there? Why would you want to? Why would you want to live with somebody who abuses you on a daily basis, who abuses your emotions, who financially controls you and tells you what you can and can't do? I remember after leaving my husband, just sitting down and kind of going, oh, God, I feel like myself again. And it was just marvellous because so much of me had been buried and muted and taken from me because he wouldn't put up with it. That when I when I escaped and to be honest, I only left because his violence increased um and I, I, I at that stage I'd had my daughter and I just thought I can't bring her up in a you know in in a in a home like this um so I left um but that was for me that was the the breaking point or the turning point but um so it, it but if I'd recognized the other symptoms as being abusive I don't know that I'd have stayed so I don't think anybody should stay with a narcissist the other thing is it's so few people who have NPD will actually seek help as we were saying earlier um, so they're not going to go for marriage counselling or couples counselling. They're not even going to go and see a therapist because as far as they're concerned, there's nothing wrong with them. So why would they spend money talking to somebody when they're perfect? Yeah. So, so I um, suppose like if you're if you're with someone who actually is a narcissist, you're fighting a losing battle in a sense. You're on a hiding to nothing. I would say get out um, as soon as you can. And get a therapist who can help you put the pieces of yourself back together. Um, and I would particularly suggest that you get somebody who actually is versed in working with people who are in or leaving narcissistic relationships, if at all possible. Um, there aren't many of them around, but there are but there are a few in Ireland. Um, and it because it's important that they can understand quickly and and see clearly to to the point of of the relationship that you are in and help you um put supports and scaffolding in place for yourself to leave mm-hmm. and is is someone who's in a relationship uh who is a narcissist necessarily violent or is that is that a so is that something else? as in like if someone is listening and they are in they feel like they're in an abusive relationship but it hasn't become physically abusive is that does that mean no this person isn't a narcissist they haven't been violent or is you know is do they go hand in hand or no well it's interesting that you say that i think there's only probably only been one narcissist that i was involved with who wasn't physically violent um but that just because there isn't physical violence in the relationship doesn't mean that the emotional violence the financial violence the coercive control all of that is violence and it's abuse yeah so just because there are no visible bruises doesn't mean that you're not in an abusive relationship mm-hmm. and really get help. I mean, even if you're even if you're thinking maybe I am, maybe I'm not, give it a, give a call to Women's Aid and say, look, you know, maybe I'm wondering, maybe I'm in a relationship with with somebody who's a narcissist. This is how they behave, and they can help you 
figure that one out for yourself as well. You know, there are you don't you don't necessarily have to be definitively sure that this is what you're living in. But if it, the type of relationship that you're living in, but if any of the conversation that you and I are having here today, Ashling, is striking alarm bells for anybody or if there are any red flags being waved or if suddenly you're finding that you're able to put language on how you've been feeling or that there is something here in this conversation has been pinpointed I would say don't ignore that explores a bit more um and you know maybe your your partner isn't a narcissist but maybe they are and you're better off knowing because then once you have information you can make a decision about what you want to do with that information yeah and you said earlier on that one of the kind of the big things that narcissists do in relationships is that gaslighting thing Mm -hmm. so for someone who's listening who thinks okay yeah maybe maybe that's what happened but even if you're feeling because like gaslighting can is designed I suppose to confuse you and to make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about and make you feel like well actually I didn't hit you that time or well actually I haven't been controlling your finances or I never said you couldn't get, go to that party or I never said you couldn't wear that dress or I never said you know if mm. someone is feeling that if they have that like kind of brain fog caused by gaslighting and maybe this is the first time they've realized that that's what's happening would you say to go and speak to someone and try and get a bit of clarity for yourself and just give examples of you know yeah. things that have happened yes I, yes I would I would also get very good at recording things either on audio um or even in writing you okay. know start to start to keep a journal and also bear in mind that they don't start off at the extreme you know uh, um a, 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 a partner who has the potential to be abusive won't walk up to you on the first date and smack you in the face because then there won't be a second date um but in a year or in 18 months that same person could have their hands around your throat telling you how much they effing hate you and how they're going to kill you you know so i would say that that with a narcissist it won't start off with them saying you can't wear that but it may start off with them saying something like oh that color really suits you or more likely that color does nothing for you or that skirt is too short you know i don't think it's it's appropriate for this particular function mm-hmm. um and you think oh this is this person is really interested in how i look and they want me to look well and this is great and then it moves on to them saying, look, I'll just go through your wardrobe and take out the stuff that just doesn't suit you. To them then saying, no, you don't go clothes shopping on your own. It's better if I go with you. And then to them just not allowing you, and I say that again with quotes, to go shopping yourself, but deciding themselves what they are going to buy for you and what you will be allowed to wear. Do you know? So it's very yeah. subtle and there is a buildup and it doesn't necessarily start with something that makes you go oh good god you can't speak to me like that it's very subtle and there's a gradual build-up mm-hmm. and I suppose the, the gradual build-up is I mean like it you know that's exactly how it, it works and that's how it happens to someone who is otherwise like I mean I'm thinking of myself and I'm going if anyone tried to tell me what to wear you know but yeah. I can understand I can understand how little by little by little if you think you you love someone and you're in a in a relationship and you think you're happy whether that's a false sense of happiness or otherwise you know it can over the course of time escalate and you don't even realize by the time you've gotten to well I'm just going to buy your clothes for you you're you know and that's obviously kind of a a mild example of coercive control but like an example nonetheless you know um, and something that happens quite frequently by the time you get to that point that seems normal that's your new normal So if you, if anyone's listened to this and has, you know, is at any point along that kind of path and is just 
not even you know just looking to query it just looking to get a bit of get, get a bit more information or have a conversation with someone impartial who has a bit of expertise who can say well actually no that's not normal because again you can be so clouded in these things that you don't realize and yeah. um, so I Hazel would advise obviously speaking to the women's aid what I might do actually Hazel is um I might get you and between us I think we could come up with a list of um websites or, or numbers that people that listen can call if they want to have a chat with someone with a bit of expertise they can also talk to me you know I'm yeah. around um I have a website that, that people can contact me through of course um, and you know I won't necessarily tell you what you want to hear but and and I think the first thing to do is to check in with yourself again and think well how, feel your feelings around it rather than try and rationalize it in your head and kind of go no they're just looking after me no they were just tired no they didn't mean it no they were just snappy because they were hangry how did that make you feel mm-hmm. yeah you know, that's key. but the other thing is that that sometimes um it can be difficult to actually hear your guts because you've been trained to ignore it mm-hmm. by an abusive relationship Mm-hmm. So it, it or I mean what I was kind of thinking is if you're in an abusive relationship and these sorts of things are happening all the time your gut is probably never not never not on high alert you're probably always on a bit of on the edge you're probably always feeling a little bit sick always feeling a little bit adrenaline kind of you know so your gut might be masked and um, so that's why it, it, a conversation with someone and just just to, just to sense check what's going on in your relationship might be a good idea yeah. Um, Hazel that was so interesting and I I actually I'd love to have you back and talk a little bit more about a couple of other topics because you Absolutely. are so you, I mean you have so many qualifications and they're real <laughs> I do look, 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 I, have, I have the certificates <laughs> um, and yeah if anyone wants to chat to Hazel or find out more about her traumarecovery.ie is her website um, I, are you on social media at all, Hazel? Or? I am. Yeah. I'm at Hazel K. Larkin on Twitter. Okay, great. So people can find you there and follow you. Brilliant. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us on private education. Um, I'd love if, if anyone's listening, if you enjoyed the episode, um, drop me a message on at private education podcast on Instagram or to my to me on Twitter if you're on Twitter it's Ashling M Keenan and let me know if you enjoyed the episode because obviously I want to make episodes that you love so feedback feedback is a you know necessary for that um, and thank you so much for listening thanks for all the lovely feedback from last week's episode um, and until next week stay safe have fun goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.